You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you stories that remind us who God is and who we are in Him. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Podcast. And be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 16 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and I am very, very excited to bring you a conversation with my new uh, friend, Meg Vanderbilt. She is the Executive Director of Bit of Hope Ranch, um, and she'll talk about what that is and how it came to be. Um, But she is just also a woman of faith and has given God her yes so many times along her journey. And um, I've heard a, a little bit of her story already and it's just blown me away the the ways that God has used her. So Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate that. To get started, I was wondering if you could share how you came to know the Lord. Absolutely. Well, it was when I was young, so I don't have one of these incredible, amazing testimony stories like you hear sometimes. Mine was a very quiet, simple one. Um, My parents were ministered to by a set of missionaries that came to our home, and I had good parents, but they were not believers. And so um, they wound up accepting Christ, and I remember they just sat down as a five-year-old and explained it to me who Jesus was. He loves me and described heaven, and I was like, why wouldn't I want to be part of this and go there? So I remember as a five-year-old making that decision to follow Christ as much as any five-year-old can understand that. And then over the last, you know, several decades, of course, that's been unfolding and growing and, and Christ continues to reveal himself to me in many different ways. I love that. So as you were growing up and walking with the Lord along the way, how did you discover your purpose? And can you tell us a little bit about what that is. Absolutely. I would love to think that all of us have one life purpose, but what I have found out that it comes in different seasons and seasons look very different. Um, But a common thread I've had in my seasons is the love of horses. Mm -hmm. So I was always the girl that rode down the road. And every time I saw a fence in the pasture somewhere, I'd have to point it out, you know, and my parents would say, sure, Meg, that's great. So horses have always captured my attention. And so growing up, um, I was the one that was attracted to the horses that honestly had challenges, um, issues that um, other riders didn't want to handle because um, I have kind of an engineering mind, a fix-it mind. So I always knew I could figure out the root problem and really fix this horse and help this horse, you know, to be better or not to be so naughty. Um, so I was always attracted to those horses. Um, and it made it a challenge for me, which I loved. So um, I grew up riding, training, doing lessons, did some showing. Um, and although I love the heart and the spirit of the horse, I didn't like the showing and the training so much. I felt like that there was a deeper connection that had to be found. So um, I went ahead and got my college degree um, to do chemistry at the time, thought I was going to be in a lab all day with a coat and beakers, and I was wrong. (laughs) Um, So after that, I taught school for a few years. Um, But truly, the when I saw the kids that would come for riding lessons, I saw the benefit of being at the farm and having horses. But my heart was for the kids who would never be able to afford to come out, who didn't have parents to bring them out. And I was like, if I could just get Johnny to come to the farm, to, to feel the love of God, to feel the love of a horse, to work hard, learn some of these principles, you know, I know it would change his life. So I always had that program running in the back of my mind of of rooting for the underdog, rooting for that rescued horse. 
And now God placed it in my heart to feel that way toward children and adults mm-hmm. that were going through tough times too. Wow. So you were doing lessons, but also teaching. So what shifted to actually starting your own ranch and ministry and business? Yeah, that's a great question. It was a 25 cent piece of poster board, literally. Um, (laughs) So I was doing vision boards way before they were cool and on Pinterest. Um, So I felt like I wanted to create this place where these kids could come. And and on adults too, but could come experience horses to meet God, um, to feel loved and accepted maybe for the first time in their life. But nobody was doing this. And every time I would bring it up, I would get like a pat on the shoulder or like, oh, that sounds nice. But I just didn't have any next steps. So um, I started reading Chip Ingram's book, Holy Ambition. And it's really the story of Nehemiah rebuilding and getting resources, direction, you know, showing resilience. So I went to the dollar store and got my 25 cent poster board and I just started drawing. I would cut out pictures um, that I saw that I thought, ooh, this is what I'd love to have. I would draw it out. So I'm a very visual person. And that was my vision board that I prayed over. And um, long story short, um, I didn't have a horse. I didn't have any money for this and I didn't have any land. All I had was God and my poster board. <laughs> so um, it was it was enough, right? Yeah. Um, with God, it's enough. And so um, I'll be honest, we went through a lot of no's as I was asking people to partner up and to maybe donate land or to help us buy land. Um, it was a hard two or three years of a lot of no's. And then finally, we approached the one that God wanted us to be here. And um, we are on a piece of property now that we lease for free. Um, it's 50 acres. It's an amazing facility. Um, and is exactly where we were supposed to be. Wow. How did you end up there? I feel like that has to be a God story because <laughs> no one gets 50 acres for free. <laughs> no, it's not. So um, it was really interesting because I had worked as a consultant on this farm many, many years ago. Um, so I at least knew it was here. And when it came up for sale, I was like, my husband's Matt. I said, Matt, we have to get this. If we can find a donor to help us make a down payment, you know, we can use this facility. Well, when we got here, we had brought um, a realtor and, and a possible another investor um, to look at it. I was so embarrassed. The property had sat um, untended. So the stall doors were falling off. Um, literally the barn was three shades of gray, depending on which side you stood on. It was just peeling off, um, no pastures, weeds up to your hip. Um, and I found myself wanting to crawl behind the barn and said, I cannot believe I brought these businessmen here to ask them to help make a down payment on this. Um, and it was for the bargain price of $750,000. So, you know, but I was a dreamer. I'm like, yeah. you got this. Why not? Um, so we wound up ro- going down to the pond when there's a beautiful pond on the property. And finally, the, the realtor said, well, what do you want? You know, that's the question you want to get to, right? When people say, what do you want? And I was like, you know, we need $50,000. And um, he looked at his friend and he said, well, I'll give 25000 if you'll match it. And the friend said, Sure. So just like that, we had $50,000. So I was just beaming. I was so excited. I'm like, okay, here's our down payment. God, you're going to take care of the rest. Well, I got a phone call 45 minutes later and I was like, okay. And he said, actually, the gentleman, um, you know, is not going to do that. Um, But he is going to purchase the property and let you use it rent free. 
And so, of course, I was speechless. And we didn't know this gentleman. He was a total stranger um, that got brought into our lives through a family connection. Um, and so he owns the property. He shows up once every couple of years to make sure we're taking care of it. Um, but it's been the home of Bit of Hope for 17 years. Wow. Yeah. And you know, I love how when you were describing the property in the beginning and how you said you were embarrassed by it, but it was run down and dilapidated and broken. And that's like how you were describing the horses that your yes. heart reaches out to and and these children who seem maybe outcast and forgotten by the world like this farm was. And yet it's all about God's restoration and bringing it to a place of healing and beauty and like God has not forgotten any of these things. No, and he restores land. You are absolutely right. He restores the purpose for this land. And part of our um, tagline is we reach, we rescue, and we restore. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that is God's story of, of us, of animals, and even of land. You're absolutely right. Wow. It's so beautiful. And man, God is just so good. Like, you said you didn't have money, a horse, or land, but you had God and a poster board. That's right. That's and right. I feel like someone out there needs to hear that, and they're probably not trying to start a horse farm. However, they have a dream inside of them that is from the Lord, and yet they have none of the resources they need right. to, that they feel they need to get started. So what word of hope or encouragement might you have for that person on that precipice? You know, that is, that's a tough question because we do have people that come and say, hey, how did you do this? We want to do this back in our home state. You know, how did you ever do it? And I don't think God's going to do the exact same thing twice. I've always wanted to write a book and a manual to say, hey, this is how you start your nonprofit horse rescue and how you make it big and everything. And God has made sure that has never worked out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I don't think um, he wants to follow a specific plan, but there is a template. And that's why I love the story of Nehemiah, where there is planning, there is diligence, there's actually casting your vision. And not only that, but I told you, I kept my vision rolled up in my closet for, for quite some time because it wasn't ready to come out. Mm -hmm. um, the right people were in front of me for that. And if I had brought that out the wrong time, I could have been so discouraged and crushed, it would have never happened. Um, so I highly encourage people to read the Holy Ambition book with their ministry in mind and see how God can show them those steps that they need to take. Mm, that's a great resource. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes and on the blog. Was that the Chip Ingram book? Yes. 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 We love him. He's been on the show. <laughs> love cool. Chip. Um, so back to um, Bit of Hope. As you've been doing this now for 17 years, are there any stories— that stand out to you about people you've helped or ways God has shown up in kids' lives and just transformed them? There are a lot of stories. In fact, we do a monthly tour here that we call Stories of Hope, um, where we invite anybody that wants to take a next step. Maybe it's a potential client or a volunteer or donor, and they come and we tell them stories of some of the horses, stories of some of the, the children and the adults that have been through here. So I love sharing stories. Um, so one of the ones that stands out in particular is um, Josiah was a client here um, several years ago, and he was 15, and we had found out that he had been in 15 placement homes. So he was in foster care, 
and he'd been moved around 15 times. Mm. And the problem was, is he would get violent and kick when he would lose his emotional regulation, when things would upset him. And the foster parents were like, we can't, we can't handle this. He would just become too violent. So he had been doing therapy like, you know, that you're supposed to do, um, but it it wasn't working. So they were threatening to move him out of his 15th placement, which would have been his 16th home. Um, and they were also concerned because at 18, you age out of a lot of services. And so they were concerned what his future may look like. So his therapist heard about us and he said, let's go try this horse thing. That's what we're considered. Some people don't understand what we do. Um, so he showed up on the scene, not wanting to be here, of course. Um, but our therapy team is comprised of a licensed therapist and an equine professional. So they work together as a team with the horse, with clients. So um, Josiah was partnered with the horse, Lily. Um, Lily was a mare who had also been abused. Um, she had scars on her face to show it. She did not want to be touched, um, looked at. She just wanted to pretty much stand in the corner and be left alone. Um, but we really felt like this horse was the horse for Josiah. So this went on for weeks. Josiah would show up, kick the dirt with his boots, not want to be there, stand in one corner. The horse would stand in the other corner, complete silence until the session was done and they would leave. So this went on several weeks. Um, so we finally, it was like four, week four or five, we brought another horse in named Ginger. She's spicy, right? So, uh, <laughs> and Ginger was was the dominant mare. And so she wound up pushing Lily around, pinned her in a corner and just started biting and kicking her. Josiah completely lost it. Went over there and screamed, get off my horse, get off my oh. horse started kicking the dirt at her and everything. And so this big scuffle was going on in the corner and we were watching this child come undone. So um, once we got the horses separated and got him calmed down, Lily actually walked over to him and we call it a horse hug. She wrapped her head around him and just looked like she just embraced him. And we stood there scared to say anything, scared to move. Yeah. And um, he said, she likes me she really likes me. And we're like, she does. She doesn't just do this to everybody. And so we just let that moment continue because I feel like God nudged that horse, spoke to that horse to go over there in that moment and touch him and initiate love and connection, possibly for the first time in his life. And so um, after we processed that, he actually said that um, as a three-year-old and as a four-year-old, that his father had abused him and he would also protect his younger brother by kicking and screaming at his father. And the therapist didn't know any of this had gone on. So you're talking about a decade plus of abuse had emerged, which made a lot of sense why he was kicking and upset at seeing the display of aggression. So once they were able to get to the root of his trauma and the problem, they were able to start working on, okay, let's how this is how we cope with it. This is what we do when we feel unregulated and unsafe. And um, he graduated high school at 18. He stayed in his foster home. Um, and so he stayed in therapy with us for close to a year. But I truly feel like that God used that horse to, to express his love to him. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, when when you were sharing that, he said like, Get off my horse. It's like, yeah. oh, that got me. 
Yeah. I don't know why that made me feel so emotional. It's just so, yeah, it is. It's the tender heart of the father to, I don't know, show his love in that way. It's so good. Yeah. What have you learned about the character of God through this work you're doing? Well, God is obviously all in it. We don't train our horses to do therapy. In fact, I like them to act like wild Mustangs because I need their innate characteristics to come out. Mm -hmm. Now, they're trained to do other things, like when they carry our fragile riders around or do different things, they do have training. But when they're in counseling, I need them to be the raw horse that God made them to be. And so, um, you know, again, people say, how did you train your horses to do that? We don't. And so um, we just let the horse be the horse. And I do feel like God prompts horses at the right time to come in, whether to come in close and comfort or to turn their back to them and say, no, that's not how you approach me. That's not Mm. how you approach others. That's not how you think of yourself. So horses are very black and white. Um, They're non-judgmental. They stay present in the moment. They don't you know, hold offenses. Like if, if you did something wrong one week and you come back the next week, they don't hold that against you. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I thought was interesting is we started creating our own online training pre- um, process, progress called um, Herdmanship University. And in that, we wanted to teach our staff and other facilities how to use the horse and how to do therapy while honoring the horse. We just didn't want the horse to be a tool or something that we use, but we wanted the horse to be honored. And so one of the concepts was that we would connect with the horse, we would help the horse feel comfortable, and we would give the horse confidence to say yes. Mm-hmm. So when we made a request, I wanted that horse to have the confidence, the comfort, the connection, so they could say, yes, is this what you want? Turn left, yes. Turn right, yes. And then they're in a place of harmony and it feels good in a relationship. So it was really interesting as I was developing that because I, I said, God, that's what you do to us. Yeah. You, you seek that connection. You comfort us and you give us confidence. Now, sometimes confidence is a hard lesson. You know, I'm not saying it's always easy, but he wants us to be able to say yes to his request. And he's not going to ask us to do something that he's not going to empower us to do. So in the process of writing this curriculum and and rolling this out, I was like, oh, God, you're actually talking to me. This is not just for the horse. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. And he's so gentle with us too. But, you know, like with training the horses, he will correct and, yes, you know, I don't, but it's all for our good. That's right. That's right. That is awesome. So I'd love to know a little bit more about where you get the horses, maybe why you pick certain horses, um, just anything else about the horses. Absolutely, because they are vital to the work that we do. Um, And dogs are great at therapy. They do great dog therapy um, options or rabbit therapy. But horses do something unique that the other animals can't do. And um, I often tell people horses are an expensive model of what we do um, because they eat a lot and they require a lot of care, but it's very effective. And so where somebody could be in therapy for a year trying to get to the root issue, figure out what's going on, a horse is going to call you out on what's going on. So um, I like to explain to people that they don't care what comes out of your mouth. 
but they care what's going on on the inside. Mm -hmm. So horses are prey animals. We're predators. And so we're already working off two different paradigms, two different realities. You know, their number one concern when they wake up every day is I don't want to get eaten. I want to live another day. Um, And so they're very aware of all their surroundings. If I move a trash can to the other end of this space, they'll notice. Mm. Or if a plastic bag blows across, they notice. And they're always looking at everything. Is this a threat? Is this a danger to me? Um, And if they didn't in the wild, they would be eaten by whatever walked up to them. So their, their innate DNA is to always be very suspicious and cautious of everything that's around them. They're also very claustrophobic. So if you limit their options, um, like tying them up too tight or putting them in a narrow space, most horses will not tolerate that. Mm. So it's it's very interesting because people are different. You know, we're A to B thinkers. If I say, hey, can you go pick up that shovel? You go from A to B and pick up the shovel. Horses will meander and make sure it's safe and then eventually get there on their own time. So um, you can see we're coming from two totally different worlds. Um, but I love horses because they are very, like I said, in tune with what's going on. So if somebody comes in the arena and they're saying, I'm not anxious, but inside their heart's going, da, 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 and their sweat hormones are strong and their eyes are dilated different or they're blinking really hard or their shoulders are tense. Those are all the signals that the horses will pick up on. And so as an equine professional, I'm watching the horse to see, okay, Does this horse feel safe to connect with this person? Is this horse putting up a wall? Is this horse not wanting anything to do with what this person's bringing into the space? Um, So it's very interesting to watch how the horse responds to what the human brings into the area. Um, And usually we don't say a whole lot during the session. We set them up with a task. It could be, do you think you can get that horse to walk with you all the way around the arena without touching it? And that might be it. And it may take 50 minutes for that horse to want to connect because the person's going to have to change what's going on in the side of them. So I love relationships because I feel like, you know, we have a relationship with ourselves. We have a relationship with others. We have a relationship with God. And so um, I'm watching patterns that they're doing with the horse. I want to see relationship patterns that show up. And yeah. so unless a horse feels safe, remember, number one, safety is his number one and feels like he can connect and trust you as a leader, he's not going to want to join up with you or connect with you at all. So they give a lot of valuable insight. And the beautiful thing is, you know, if a person walks in and, and is, has the wrong approach or is not controlling their emotions right, as soon as they do, that horse is going to make a change. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in talk therapy, you can practice about not being anxious. You can practice your breathing. But how do you know if it's really working? Yeah. Well, watching a horse's reaction, you'll know if it's working or not. So it can be very empowering and encouraging for clients. Mm. And what kind of clients, like people who are listening and they think, this sounds amazing. Yeah. How how can I get some of this therapy or what kind of like specific clients do you mainly work with? That's a great question. Um, we do a lot of tweens and teens. You know, that's a hard time in life anyway. Yeah. Um, but we have adults that are going through a lot of stuff, especially post-COVID. Um, so a lot of trauma work is what we wind up doing, dealing with depression, anxiety, 
transitions. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, when, when a brain has been traumatized and that could be through years of abuse or it could have been a car accident, um, there's actually changes that happen in the brain. And so the person has a hard time accessing different parts of their brain, parts of their brain actually shut down um, to kind of protect themselves. And usually they'll present with anxiety symptoms or they're not able to function or control physical parts of their body. And they come to us like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Can you help me? And so um, one of the cool things I love about horses is they have a bilateral gait. So um, for some of our trauma victims, we'll have them get on the horse bareback so they can feel the horse very close. And we will have the horse walk around the space and the horse is going to move left, right, left, right, left, right. The rider is going to feel that input coming up through their spine and into their brain. And it actually works like an EMDR um, mental health therapy session. So they can process emotions. They can process trauma. Um, and so a lot of things come up, but basically their brain is getting rewired. And I just think that's so cool that God gave us a horse that we wow. can connect with, that, you know, we can do that. And so sometimes for people that have been through trauma, you know, they're in such a heightened state of anxiety all the time, they can never relax. And sometimes that 30 minutes on that horse is maybe the only time all week where they feel peace, where they feel regulated, where they can breathe where they feel like they're normal selves. So um, it's pretty powerful to see some of the changes that happen in just one session. Wow, that's amazing. And um, I'll link to your website and all the things if people want to learn more and sign up for something themselves. Um, But circling back to more your story, as you've been doing this now for 17 years, along the way, have there been any times you've doubted this path you're on or anything you've had to release to the Lord in order to continue to say yes in this? Oh, every day. (laughs) (laughs) That was a trick question, right? (laughs) That's an easy one. Next. (laughs) Because continually, I feel like I'm not enough. And and I'm Mm. right. I don't have enough resources, you know, on my own. I don't have enough ideas. Um, I don't have enough volunteers on my own. Um, and so the pressure of that, of, of being a person in lead and carrying the weight of caring for animals, caring for staff, caring for, for clients with a lot of, you know, dark needs that they have, a lot of hard stuff. Yeah. Oh, and then carrying the money and the provision and everything else um, is truly um, grueling some days. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And so what I find myself is when I'm in that place of starting to feel the stressors in my physical body, um, it's a reminder me that I've gotten out of alignment. Like somewhere I have hmm. made an agreement with something I shouldn't have, or I've bought into a lie again that I shouldn't have. And so I used to get mad that I couldn't keep up or I couldn't do everything I was supposed to. And now it's like, wait a minute, thank you body for telling me that I've stepped out of alignment again, you know? Yeah. And so I go back to the father and I love the phrase I've been teaching my staff too, is to press into him. You know, a lot of times we're, we're comfortable standing in his presence, but I want to lean into him because I need his strength. I need his closeness and I need to, to have a deeper relationship with him. So um, yeah, letting go of control is a big one. You know what? Not everything's going to get done and I'm not going to be able to make everyone happy at the end of the day. Um, But it's reevaluating who is my real boss 
mm-hmm. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And is he happy? Is he pleased with what happened today? Yeah. And leaving the results up to him. What does leaning in look like for you in this season? You know, I have really thought about that. When I was younger, I could just use my uh, my physical body to push harder and go harder. And now as I'm approaching 50, my body's like, hey, we can't do that anymore. Um, and I call it active resting. Um, you know, when when we work with horses, for example, we ask them to yield to a bit, a bit that's in their mouth. Um, that doesn't mean that they stop going and they don't do anything. It just means that they soften. And when I ride a horse, a horse that doesn't know how to soften to the bit is pulling on me all the time. It's exhausting to ride those horses. They get tired. My hands get tired. It's not a fun ride. And actually, one of us could get hurt during that process. But a horse that's been trained to yield to the bit, to soften his mouth, breathe, allow me to stop, to turn, to back up, or just to completely do nothing for a few minutes, is actually a really well-trained horse and a joy to ride. So in that, I'm, I'm like, Lord, help me be that horse that softens to the bit, that's content to stand, that's content to move but I'm not bracing against anything. I'm just moving in tune with you. So sometimes it's a matter of I go sit out under a tree, literally. My, my kids tease me that I'm a tree hugger, but I'm like, no, really, I do sometimes. Um, and use my imagination. I have a couple places in my imagination. I go to meet with Jesus and, mm. and get refreshment from him or cry to him or um, just reconnect. So I use a lot of visualization, a lot of imagination, um, you know, meditation on verses, breathing. And of course I use nature because I'm an outdoor girl. But yeah. yeah. Oh, those are good tips and things that we can do anywhere that we're at. Right. You know, just to lean into the Lord in that way. Um, I never knew there were so many faith analogies in horses. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> My mind is blown. You said you wanted to write a book about you know, how to start your a business, but I think you need to write a book about experiencing God through horse mm-hmm. analogies. Maybe that's a word today. Thank <laughs> that you. That is your book. There's yes. there's my prophetic moment. No. I love it. I'll I'm not it. saying that's prophetic, but I'm saying you hey. have enough you have enough content here for a whole book. Very good. Very good. So after you write the book, we'll have you back on. <laughs> um, so we're almost out of time. And I love to end with just a very general question of what did I miss or what is God laying on your heart to share right now with our listeners? You know, I love using horses. They're my passion. Um, They're my language. Um, But not everybody has to do horses to experience God in their lives. And, you know, when I started this 17 years ago too, um, I thought I had an idea of what it was going to look like. I had my poster board, you know, (laughs) and I thought it was all going to match up to that. And God has fulfilled some of that because he does give us the desires of our heart and he does help our plans to succeed. But I'll be honest, I literally have flipped over the poster board and I have kept drawing. Um, Maybe not the exact poster board I've had now that we use um, the cloud and, and fancy apps and things like that. But he's not done. And as soon as you think you've, you're done and you've arrived, you've lost your potential And so I'm one that always likes to push that box a little bit and say, okay, God, now what, now what, now what? 
And um, the other interesting thing, I think the phrase, um, I thought about this when you were talking about discouragement, I think, or, you know, what do you do with that? Um, I try to teach people to say the phrase, how interesting. So when a horse comes up and is limping, instead of me getting mad and been out of shape, I'll say, oh, how interesting. And that gives me 10 seconds to control what my next statement is going to be. Mm. Or when a volunteer comes in late for the 30th time and I'm like, how interesting. <laughs> Instead of snapping to something quick, it gives the Holy Spirit time to work and tell me what to say instead of what my flesh wants to say. Yeah. So those would be my two things is, is number one, um, keep asking the Lord now what, because he's ever increasing and ever abundant in every way and don't get comfortable where you are. And then when you hit those moments, because you will hit those moments of, of stress or frustration, my phrase is how interesting knowing that he's got a plan and he's going to work it out. Right. In his own time. Yeah. Oh, those are both so good and speak to me right now, especially the how interesting. I feel like I am going to start utilizing that with my students in my classroom. Yes. <laughs> just to take that beat. Mm, okay. Yeah. You, you just mm-hmm. bit a student? How interesting. Okay. That happened well, today. That. Yes. I have a biter. I don't teach kindergarten, I teach sixth graders. They should no longer be biting. They need to come to the horse farm. Um, they need, they do. <laughs> so we're going to take a field trip to your horse farm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Meg, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. I loved that conversation with Meg and hearing so many analogies and metaphors about how our faith is lived out in horses and ways that we can see God's love for us through horses or, you know, these metaphors about being led and, you know, following His direction and resting in Him and releasing control and relaxing into His presence, leaning in, um, like Meg said. And I'm just inspired by it. And now I want to go to the ranch. Um, so Meg and I were talking about, I want to take a tour. So when I do, I'll have to bring you along and post on the stories on the Collected Podcast Instagram page. Um, it's just Collected Podcast. If you don't follow us, head on over there. Um, but I'll have to take you along and we can meet some of these horses and see what it's actually like. And um, I don't know, I'm I'm excited to learn more. Um, so if you want to learn more too, they're bitofhoperanch.org. And I'll post the link to that down um, in the show notes as well. So as Meg was talking, I was reminded of something I heard somebody on Instagram say, I cannot remember who, I'm very sorry, Um, but she was talking about finding your passion, you know, and Meg's passion was so clear and, you know, it seemed to come so naturally for her. You know, there were obstacles along the way of bringing this vision to fruition and God showed up in powerful ways, but, but the vision itself in the beginning you know, was very clear. And I think some people have have trouble seeing the vision even in the beginning. You know, you're like, okay, well, she knew what she wanted to do. I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what I would put on my vision board. And so this woman on Instagram was talking about a good question to start with is just, what am I good at? What comes easy to me? And, um, you know, not to say that running with it will also be easy because there will always be obstacles along the way and things that grow our faith and force us to lean into the Lord. 
But just starting with that question of what am I good at? What comes naturally to me? What feels easy for me? Because what feels easy for you probably doesn't feel easy for everyone else. Like that is unique to you. And that's something that God can use for his kingdom and to propel you forward and to show you what your next first step should be. And so you might not be able to fill up a full poster board, but maybe you are really good at asking questions, or you are really good at listening and just sitting with people. Maybe you're really good at math or, I don't know, puzzles. I think I've used puzzles as an example in the past. If you can't tell, I am really into puzzles lately. I do a lot of them. Um, so anyway, what are you good at? And maybe your vision board just has one word or one picture, and that is where you start. And that's okay. Like it doesn't have to be the full picture yet. Um, but just asking yourself that initial question of what comes easy to me? And it's something you may take for granted because it comes so easy to you. But if you start talking to other people about it, I would bet that that thing is not easy for them. And that that is, like I said, something very unique and special to you and how God can use you. Um, so just something I was thinking about. Um, I hope you're having a wonderful week, and I am officially on summer vacation, which is so exciting, and I have some things I want to, some some new things for my vision board. I haven't made one, but I think I need to. Um, so my mental vision board of what I would like to do this summer uh, for some new directions for Collected. And still sticking with the podcast, this will not change every other Thursday. But I see a vision for um, something more with these podcast episodes. Um, maybe some sort of a book that can be used that goes along with the episodes, with past episodes for Bible studies to use. And so you know, maybe I pull six of the episodes and create a study guide with, um, you know, a devotional and reflection questions where a small group could listen to the episode and then have this rich discussion surrounding what that particular guest shared. So that's one idea I have. Uh, I'm bouncing around some other ideas, but also challenging myself to not be just content with what it is right now. And what it is right now is wonderful. And if this is all it is, I'm so thankful for it. And yet I feel this stirring in my soul, like Meg was talking about, to, to flip the board over now, start a new page of the vision board, and continue to be propelled forward deeper and deeper into what God might be doing. Um, so I wanted to share that with you just to be transparent and a little bit of accountability for myself. Um, and we'll see, you know, what happens with it this summer. And I do not have a timeline. <laughs> I haven't even started yet. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to see what God might do with that. And if there are any particular episodes that have really stood out to you over the past five seasons, it can be from any season that you think would make a really good devotional episode, small group discussion, or that really impacted you, please, please, please let me know. Um, email me at jess at collectedministries.org, jess with one S. 
And let me know what the episode is because that is where I'm going to be starting of just combing through everything we've done. And it is a lot of content. So I will welcome any assistance that you can offer. Um, So again, thank you for listening and for following along. I am praying for you and I will see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. 